Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Wonderful. Well, we're continuing our Build It series. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we started our Build It series with Build It Clearer. um, And uh, we spoke, um, we started with... um, uh, Nicola uh, Benedetti, who's the um, uh, violinist, and um, we we looked at how um, we are here to bring a clear message. It is a message. It's an old message, but it has to be spoken in a clear and concise way that today's generation could understand. Last week, I spoke on build it stronger, and to build it stronger, we speak about strength. That strength is actually found in strong decisions that reading the Bible and praying, um, while it makes you strong, actually what it does is it makes you healthy. What makes you strong is a strong decision. A strong decision will stretch the muscles of your mind, the muscles of your heart. It It will enable you to actually go somewhere that you haven't been able to do before. And what happens in our life is that we we get a little bit kind of unsure of what to do. But when you make a strong decision, you get energy in your in your in your heart, and you go, I'm going to do this, and um, you know it's it's a great thing to do. Who, who's ever made a decision? You're not sure whether to go on holiday or not, and you oh, I don't know whether, and you, maybe it's at a time when you're not sure you can afford it. Can I afford it? Can I afford it? But you go, you know what? I'm going to take the wife and kids away. We're going to just go on holiday, and uh, I mean, and you make a strong decision from that moment on. You're like. We're going on holiday. And, uh, and it's kind of like, you know, I've made a decision. This is what we're going to do. And sometimes you just got to make strong decisions. And strong decisions in God enable you to have the energy to see through the, the struggles that you're, you're wrestling with. And the church has to make strong decisions. That we have to build it stronger so that we can build into a society, an increasingly complex and fractured society that needs the church to stand strong. Amen? This week, I want to speak on build it wider. Um, wider is always better than narrow, unless it's your waistline. And, uh, and, then, and then build it narrower. <laughs> but uh, the opposite applies. But in any other case, wider, wider is always better. If you, if you want a, um, everyone, they move into a house. Almost everyone's first house is tiny. And, uh, and as you go through life, you spend the rest of your life working out how to make it bigger. <laughs> Don't you? That's how, what you do. Until you get to a certain point in life, and then you go, how do I now make this smaller again? <laughs> but, you know, for most of us, we're still in that phase where we're going through it. How do I make my house bigger? And, and you think about how you make it. When we used to live in Bridgeton, we had a three-bedroom house. Um, and uh, we, we needed at least one extra bedroom um, for the kids um, and also for the guests, we have a lot of guests coming through. Last year, we had 80 people stay in our house. Um, uh, this coming year, from March to March, I count it from March to March, I don't know why, I just do. Um, and uh, we're on target to have 90 people stay in our house. In fact, at Christmas time, 
Uh, we've got um, at Christmas. We've got Molly and Rubin uh, Aparana coming back to stay with us for Christmas, and uh, uh, and so we've got actually we've got eight people for Christmas, and then. Uh, what happens, uh, we've got friends, Dave and Jenny Gilpin, come up over the new year uh, to stay with us for a few days. Uh, and then Cheryl's parents, they go and immediately after Cheryl's parents arrive. Uh, and as Cheryl's parents leave, so my brother and uh, his, his son, Jonathan, who's coming back to the church. For those of you who know, Jonathan's coming back to live. Uh, and uh, so, um, so they come to stay. Uh, and so, and so it's just back to back. That's our home. So we needed a bigger house. You've got to understand us. We needed a bigger house. You know, it's, uh, it's no good putting people on the sofa all the time. And uh, so, you know, wider is got to be it's got to be better. And the church has got to understand that we have to build wider. We want a church that is wide enough to hold on to this generation that understands that there are, there are people out there that live outside of the width of where we are. And so if we want to reach them, we have to build in their world. And you know, um, when my father, um, we had uh, workshops together and um, we were, had made furniture and dad would make it and I would sell it. And uh, we got to a point when we didn't have enough space. And so what happened was, and we were looking through, and Dad had timbers that he had cut down as a boy and still haven't found a use for. And uh, it's the sort of thing my dad would do. He would, he would just store stuff. In fact, my grandfather used to own houses in which literally he had four houses which he stored furniture because he didn't know what to do with it. And uh, he would just, he literally had us to store furniture in. And my, my dad wasn't quite as extreme as that. That's like hanging on to stuff, isn't it? My, my dad had timber that he didn't know quite what to do with, but he, he, there were oak trees and things which he had felled as a teenager. <coughs> and he was hanging on to these you know, massive planks, of, single planks of oak like this. And uh, just beautiful, a good two inches thick. And it just and, and Dad was like, mm, I'm saving that for something special, and uh, and so we decided that what we needed was more space, and so we built um, out onto the side of the workshop. We built uh, a shed. We broke out the patio um, that had once been actually a lean-to on the side of where was my father's workshop had been various things over the years. Um, but the patio had once been a lean-to greenhouse, one of those old Victorian-style greenhouses built on the side of a building. And my, um, it had once been one of those, and, and then it had become a patio, and we used to sunbathe on it. Um, but now it was going to be the, the base for my father's um, shed that he was going to store his timber in. And uh, so we broke it out, and we dug up the patio. And, and as we dug up the patio, so we start to find sort of Victorian things that the kind of the junk of stuff from history the things that were left behind and so you're finding old Victorian bottles who remembers finding old old bottles and it's just great fun you know you find an old bottle and uh, <coughs> you think it's worth money it isn't and uh, <coughs> and then we we found you know we found just sort of rusty old um, hinges and bolts and, and things which date back to another time when that land was used for something else. And so, but now it is being built upon 
to, to house a shed so that my dad's got place to put his timber so that we've got space to build a workshop. Now it says here in Acts chapter 15, it says this in verse 16, and I've read this to you many times before. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. This is a, a prophetic word that God is speaking to the church by the apostles and he's speaking to the church and saying that this is what the church should look like. This scripture right here. If you want to know what a lot of people ask over the years, what should church look like? What should it be? What type of church? Everyone has their favorite type of church. I was brought up in a strict Baptist environment and um, we then sometimes went to a Baptist church and I got saved and born again in a charismatic Baptist church. So you can understand, I've got a fondness for the Baptist organization. You understand that? And so, because I was brought up in that, and, but there are many people who are brought up in various denominations and styles of church. Uh, and they're brought up in those and they have a fondness for those. But everyone's asking the same question. What should the church look like? What should it be? And this is what we're talking about in our Build It series. And it says here, after this, I'll return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up. So whatever the tabernacle of David was, that's what the church should be. So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Verse 17. So, uh, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. What should the church be like? How should it be built? It should be built so that the rest may seek the Lord. In other words, the church isn't for us, it's for them. You see, many times we're going, oh, well, it, it is for them, but we need to take care of us. You know, <clears throat> one thing that um, has been said as a mantra, which um, I want to challenge what happens is that in this mantra that is spoken, and what happens is that people have said, we've just got to take down the four walls of the church. And we've said it so many times, you'd almost think it was scripture. <laughs> we just got to get rid of the four walls of the church. The church isn't in the four walls, the church is outside. And something inside of me kind of went, I'm not sure that that's true, but I don't know how to argue that or kind of explain, because I understand and sympathize with the essence of it and so we we understand what it's trying to say but we know it's not in the bible so therefore it's not the word of god it's just a a saying but we say it and it gets said so many times we've got to break down the four walls of the church no we haven't got to break down the four walls of the church what we've got to do is build the church wider so if you don't if you break the four walls of the church down people have got nowhere to come People have to come somewhere. Do you understand? We're talking about the, the metaphorical walls, not the physical walls. We break these down. The roof will fall on us. We all die. That's, a, that's not an option. Not unless we've got... No. Anyway, so what we want is to build a church where the metaphorical, the, the walls of our space are wide enough so that everyone can come to it. People come to our house because it has walls. 
If it didn't, they wouldn't want to come. There is nothing more secure than a place with walls, nothing more insecure than a place without. If you have the place doesn't have defined walls, then it doesn't have defined space. You don't know what it is, you don't know where it starts and where it finishes. The church isn't here to create confusion. The church is here to create a space where people can come in security. So what we've got to do is break out the walls and build them wider, building them in the backyard of other people's patios where their lives have laid down all kinds of history and say, on your history, on your past, we're building the church of Jesus Christ. That is what we're here to build. We just gotta build it wider. See what happens is that church, church has created a walls, a space in this kind of space, and we've created a language that goes with it. Everybody has got a language. You you go to and your Brian here's a, a project engineer. He's done all different kinds of engineering I've known over the years, and 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 he when he starts talking engineering, I my eyes glaze over. And, uh, and he talks and he talks about all the... Because I haven't a clue what he's talking about. I just nod in all the right places go, that's very interesting. <laughs> and then all the other engineers, and James around, and Nathaniel, and all these other engineers, they get together and they all know what they're all talking about. I'm left on the outside, I don't have a clue. I'm, I'm excluded by language. Yeah. I'm excluded by that which we do on the inside. When we build the church to build it wider, we have to build it with a language that everyone understands because we're not all engineers. The amazing thing is the church has its own language. I mean, I had my, when I was building my own furniture, we have a language. People come in and they think they're talking the right, they'll come in, I want to some furniture, I want it varnished. Anyone come to me and say they want their furniture varnished, that might sound decent to you, but someone who makes furniture would just raise their eyebrows and go, clearly they don't know what they're talking about. Because they don't know their lacquer from their varnish, from their French polish, from their Danish oil. They don't know the difference between water base and spirit base. They don't know the difference between a stain or, or a lacquer. And all of these things, they have no clue. And so you don't just varnish something. Why? Because they don't know the language. And because they don't know the language, they don't understand how to apply themselves to what it is they want. In the church, we have language. Uh, we have words like anointing. That's, that's a good, it's not a good word for the world, is it? They don't really get what anointing is. Or Shekinah. That's a great word, isn't it? <laughs> Shekinah. You could say that one in the world. That was gonna, they would think that you've bought some Arabic duvet that you were going to... I'm going to just go home and, and rest in the Shekinah. You've got, you've got an Arabic duvet made of, made of camel fur and, and you're going to settle under it while watching Strictly. Just settling under the Shekinah. Strictly's on. Saturday night sorted. It doesn't make sense, does it? But we use words that, that don't make sense. But we are here to communicate to every type of person in every type of place. 
And so the language we use needs to be a language which is understood. It needs to be wider and it needs to be built in their backyard, not in ours. We've already got the church in our backyard. We don't need to remodel what we've already got. We need to build in theirs what has never been built. The church has to be built wider. Amen. And so this morning... I want us to understand that we are here to speak a language and to communicate. You know, centuries ago, and this is how I was, I was raised in a church centuries ago. <laughs> it may have only been in the, in the 70s that I was a kid, but its language, its habits and its structure was centuries ago. <laughs> The church I was raised in had a revival. It's always good to be in a church that's had a revival. It's got a sense of something in the place. And uh, the church I was in had had a revival. The problem was that the revival was in 1700 and something. And there's the building still standing, just. (laughs) A bit wobbly in places. And uh, as a kid, we get to... As a kid, what happened is that um, in this place of the revival in 1700 and something, um, the, the, the building got built. But, you know, as a kid, we would run around and we would um, get into a place where we would just find the weakness of the building and we would, we would find kind of trap doors and we would open them. I remember once as a kid running through and we, we found this trap door and we, we just shoved it open and our heads appeared in the middle of a Sunday school class that was going above us. <laughs> We got in a lot of trouble for that one. It was actually Cheryl's grandfather that caught us. And, uh, and so, <laughs> quite amazing, really. But here we are. We're, we're in this building that's had a revival. And so the language and the, and the culture and the style of the church is still preaching that 17th century, um, sorry, 18th century, 1700s um, type revival language, the church. And that was preaching the gospel. You must preach sin. People, people have got to know what sin is. How many of you know now what I'm talking about? You've heard, you've heard, if you've been in church, you've heard that. If you haven't been in church, you've been saved. <laughs> now, you, like all the Christians are going, oh, but you've got, you've got to preach sin. Do you know why they preach sin? Because they felt bad in the, 17, in the 1800s in the 1900s, people were brought up and born in servitude. They were born into a place where you were either working class or you were upper class. There wasn't a middle class. And so you were either ruling class or you were born to serve the ruling class. Most people were born to serve the ruling class. Now, what that meant was you felt like a nobody going nowhere, doing nothing. You felt of no value. And so it was very easy to be reminded of your failure and very easy. But the, the message of sin that was being, being preached wasn't you are a bad sinner. It is you can be rescued from your servitude. That's the message. That's what they were preaching. In other words, they were preaching the answer that the people were asking. The question that they were asking is, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing, I'm a broken person. And they were preaching this message and there they were 
preaching it and people found redemption in the midst of their brokenness because they were born under servitude. But this generation isn't born under servitude. We weren't born to to serve. We were born to be served. We were born with rights. We were born with expectations. We were born into a place where we believe we have every right to have what we want and to say what we like. We have freedom of speech and freedom of action. We can choose to do anything, go anywhere, say what we like, do what we want. The question of today's society isn't an issue of servitude, it's an issue of trust. Why is it an issue of trust? Because we've built our lives based on the shaky ground of of people's opinions, of thoughts and values which don't hold ground. And suddenly the shaky, the cardboard walls which people have built around them are proving that they can't be trusted. The society has proven that it can't be trusted. And so the heart cry of today's society isn't how bad I am. The, the, The heart cry of today's society is... What can I trust in? Where can I find solid ground? What can I do that can be trusted? What is authentic and really true? Where is real truth? And so that's the heart cry of a a generation. And the heart cry of this church as we reach out and break out into new ground is to build an authentic church where church is speaking truth and authenticity is speaking the honesty of our lives, not pretending to be pure and not pretending to be holy, but declaring that Jesus Christ has touched and changed our lives and he's taken the imperfect and made it glorious. You see, that is the message that we have. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in, um, as I say, the 70s. How many of you remember... Those of you who are in the 70s, remember a soap called Crossroads. Have you ever Crossroads? And uh, Crossroads was, was terrible. It was a terrible... I remember watching it. We didn't watch it for the brilliant acting. We watched it because of the shocking set that it was built on. That they, you, had, you had Benny and Diane, Miss Diane. And anyway, Benny was just like this huge character that was uh, quite funny. And you had, you had this character, and they, people would just run, and they would slam the door, and the set would wobble. <laughs> and that was the pleasure of watching this terrible program. <laughs> the whole thing was just, it was just shocking. It was shady. It was kind of like, it was all sort of falling down. It was this program that was on at five o'clock uh, on an afternoon. And here is this TV program that we grew up watching as kids, and, and it was it was built on nothing. It was just a really, really... And that's how society has been built. And it's how our lives have been... Um, it's how society has built. Has built it just like the set of crossroads with shaky walls and walls made of cardboard. But you know, you know, when we build a church that is trustworthy and authentic... What we're saying is, we're building into the hearts and lives of people with a true and honest message. And what happens in today's society is that people are looking for for trust. And for people to trust the church, they have to know they're valued. 
See, people want to just simply know, I'm valued. Who's with me here? I'm valued. Here's a note for parents. If you're a parent, if you're a parent of young children, right, and you're wondering how it's going to be in their teenage years, number one, reject the lie that your teenage kids are going to reject you. All right? That's a lie right there. Reject the lie, number two, that your teenage kids are going to give you trouble. That's another lie right there. All right. So how do you help your teenage kids get through their teenage years? Simple. Just communicate to them at every opportunity you can that they are valued, their thoughts are valued, their ideas are valued, their fashion accessories are valued, the things they consider important, their hairstyles are valued. The thing, if you put value on your kids, then they will turn to you in time of trouble because they know they've got someone they can trust. I can trust this person because they love, I know I'm accepted because I'm valued. Now I can go to them. The reason why this generation has often failed, the church has often not built wider is because it's told people what they're doing wrong instead of who they are meant to be. Instead of telling them who they are in God, it's told them what they failed in and then wonder why they don't trust the church. Well, you know, the church isn't here to bring a message of condemnation. It is here to bring the message that Jesus Christ came to redeem all mankind. And if it wasn't for His grace, we would be with them there too. And so we're here to build it wider, to understand that His kingdom is not a kingdom upon which we can qualify, but it is a kingdom upon which His grace brings us home. It says in Titus chapter 3, and verse 1. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this. Sorry, verse 3. Titus 3, verse 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled, became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, but our lives were full of envy, evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Saviour revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy, He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of His grace, He declared his righteous, us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. At what point did we do anything to deserve this? This is what happened. God decided to build His church in our backyard. He dug up the history that had been laid down. He said, I am not building what was built before. I'm building something new. I don't care what has gone on in your life before. I'm building my church in your backyard. Verse 8 says this. This is a trustworthy saying and I want you to insist on these teachings so that those all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. What does it say in all of this? What defines Christianity above any other religion in the whole world? It de- what defines it? Defines it this. 
It is not what you have built, not what, how clever you are, not what simple steps that you take to try and be holy. It is not framed on any of those things. When we were still living in our backyard patio with nothing to cover us, um, nothing there for us, God came to save us and built His church around us. Us. He came to us when we didn't even know we needed Him. He came to us and He saved us. He saves you. He saves you. He comes to save the world. His gospel saves. He comes and sets people free because He is the one who saves. This world has a truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. They don't know it. We are here to proclaim it. We are here to build a church that is so wide that it, it takes into every corner of today's society and we knock out the the old things that have lain down and we say we are breaking up that ground and we're building a church a church based on a gospel where Jesus saves not based on our cleverness our purity our holiness he saves this church is a church that declares the gospel Jesus Christ saves he comes to save you he's not interested in your past he's not interested in your history he's not interested in your opinions he's only interested in you he loves you he came to save you he came to give you hope and righteousness now listen to this when a policeman becomes a policeman What made them a policeman? They were a nobody first. They were just a a person. And then somebody said, went to interview, got the interview, became a policeman. Once they had become accepted, here they are, I'm now a policeman. But I don't know how to be a policeman. I don't know how to be a policeman until I become a policeman. Once I become a policeman, then they train me how to become a policeman. (laughs) <laughs> now that would be a miracle right there once once you become a policeman then they train you how to become a policeman and then they give you a uniform and say you're now a policeman but you weren't a policeman you were just somebody just living your life and then you became a policeman and once you became a policeman now you're learning how to be a policeman and now you put on the uniform and now you're changed What happened to that person? Did the police service change for the person to adapt to their kind of needs? They didn't go and go, oh, you know, I I don't really, I prefer not to arrest people like that. I I just kind of feel like, you know, let's just chat along. See, see what's happened in church is that people will say, oh, if we just preach a grace where, where everyone's accepted, supposing they... Supposing they won't change. Supposing they supposing they they don't become like Christian. If you accept them, they become in the house. The church doesn't change for people. People change in the place that they're accepted. If they're accepted in the house, the church doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change kids grow up and mature in a place where they are valued. We have grown up and matured in this house because we've been valued. And in that value, we put on the uniform of Jesus Christ. We cloak ourselves in His presence and suddenly we go, whoa, this is different. 
I never knew it could be like this. Yeah, I can do this. Didn't think I could, but actually, I can. Suddenly, we become a different person. You see, the gospel is a gospel that changes and transforms people's lives. We're building a wider church. A church for the world, not an exclusive bunch called Christians. Christians are there to build the church for the world. We are here saved to perpetuate the hope and build his church in the backyard of other people's rubbish and declare to them that Jesus Christ is their hope. We're here. The church is not here for us. We are here for them. Let's build it wider. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.